Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
services with us today. Praise Jesus. Make for sure I get all the buttons pushed for recording. Sometimes I don't do that, so I got to make sure that all the buttons are pushed. Praise the Lord. Okay. I believe we are ready. Everybody is in the room. Let's go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' wonderful name, thank you, Father, for this new day, this last day of this week, the seventh day, this day of worship and rest, this holy day that you have made. Praise your holy name. We thank you, Father, that you woke us up another day and are continuing to give us hope and faith, mercy and grace 
teaching, and leadership. Thank you, Father, for continued opportunity to grow in your spirit and to grow in the truth and in your will. Pray, Father, that you would please help us today to receive direction, to receive more and more of the truth that we may never stop growing, but continue to grow in your knowledge, in your spirit, and in your will. May all of the Babylonian doctrines that were planted in us through the world, may all those Babylonian doctrines disappear, be crushed and torn apart. May all of those false doctrines, deceptions, and lies be banished from our hearts and souls forever. May the light of Jesus Christ shine deeply into our minds, into our bodies, into our souls, to deliver us from darkness and to transform us to your glorious light. In the name of Jesus Christ, so be it. Father, we ask that you help us to receive your word today in this sermon and to not misunderstand anything. And may any spirit of witchcraft that's trying to come against us, may those spirits of witchcraft be banished and destroyed returned back to the sender of such things be curses upon those that try to curse us for no weapon formed against us shall prosper and every tongue of false judgment against us we condemn for our righteousness is in you christ jesus and our power is in you and you gave us power over serpents and over scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, that nothing shall hurt us by any means. The gates of Hades shall not prosper against the church of God. We stand victorious in your spirit today, Father. Gather, gather together across the world in one mind, in one spirit, in one accord to receive your word, Father, and nothing shall hinder this. In the name of Jesus Christ, so be it. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise Jesus. Greetings. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is an exciting day. Exciting, I tell you. Praise the Lord. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I do encourage you to take notes, especially if you've not received the notes yet. I didn't get it out in the newsletter before the sermon, but after the sermon's over with, we'll try to get a newsletter sent out. Sometime today or this evening or tonight or tomorrow, you know how it is. A lot's going on, so it's hard to get uh, newsletters and things out there uh, as timely as I would like to get them out there. But nevertheless, we'll get it out there. And so if you don't have the notes yet, um, which I did post it on MeWe. I did post the notes on MeWe, but I didn't get it out in the newsletter in time, though. If you don't have the notes here, I do encourage you to 
jot down notes as we go along so that you can review the notes later. And you can also listen to the sermon later as well because all the sermons are also recorded for archives as well. So you can listen even a second time if that would help you. And sometimes that does help people to listen to the sermon again, even if you have already heard it live, you can listen again to soak it in and better understand, especially if you're not sure exactly what I said, then you could definitely review and be helpful in that area. So Ephesians 4 is where we're going to start at. And of course, for anybody that may be listening for the first time, we are reading from a translation called the Alpha and Omega Bible which is not a new translation. It's not a Bible that I made. It's not a Bible that I made. It's not my own Bible. It is just simply a restoration of the Bible. That's different from being a new translation. It is not a new translation. It is the original translation. It is a restoration of the Scriptures. That's entirely different from being a new translation. Amen. And we're going to continue and continue to perfect this restoration, continue to chip away at all of mankind's corruptions, where they added and took away and changed the words. We'll continue to work on this restoration for as long as possible. Amen. So hopefully, God willing, we'll come out with an update in just two or three weeks from now. Uh, and that's, to be honest with you, that's going to take a miracle in itself. There's a lot working against me. I am in a battle. You are in a battle. And a raging war is raging extremely, extremely hard against the church right now. And that's part of the sermon today is this war against the church, against you. We are in a war. Surely the great tribulation is very close because I have never in my entire life seen such tremendous warfare. Warfare, And I tell you, I've been around the block a few times. I'm not a young kid. I've been around the block a few times. I have seen war, spiritual, but nothing like this before. Amen. So we have to understand this. Now, this past week, I have been fighting a false preacher, false teacher, and a false preacher on the MeWe social group. He claims that there are not any more any apostles, and I'm sure he also believes no longer any prophets, because that goes hand in hand. He no longer believes in apostles, that there can't be any apostles after the death of Paul and John, after they died 2,000 years ago. He believes that the church has gone 2,000 years without any apostles or prophets. That's, that's really a ridiculous theory. And because of that, he deleted all of Sister Kiki's posts in his group on MeWe called The Great Tribulation, End Times, and banned Sister Kiki, who is listening right now. She lives in Australia. She's a very faithful sister in Jesus Christ. In fact, she was ordained as a deaconess to the church just recently, what, month, two months ago, something like that. She's very faithful to Christ Jesus. She stands up for the truth boldly. Amen. 
And so that false preacher banned her and deleted all of her posts. And he also uh, deleted some of my posts and uh, comments. Even when I was quoting the Bible, deleted Bible verses. And yet, to this very day, throughout this entire week of all this back and forth arguing and warfare, he's not presented not even one scripture to support his teaching. That's very telling. Amen. He has not presented not even a single scripture while at the same time deleting the scriptures when me and Robert post scriptures. He would delete those. Very telling when someone wants to delete the Bible and delete Bible scriptures that tell the truth and yet not present a scripture uh, of any evidence at all for his own theory. And so today we're going to read these Bible verses that he deleted. He can delete such Bible verses from his own social media group, but he cannot delete these verses out of existence. They are in the Bible, and they will always be in the Bible. Amen. He cannot delete it from the Bible itself. Amen. Amen. And these, this verse right here in Ephesians 4, verse 11, should be ingrained into every one of you, into your minds and hearts and souls. The Word of God should become ingrained in you. And this particular verse especially, because guess what? John 3.16 is not the only Bible verse in the Bible. Amen? These Babylonian Baptists, which should be called non-Babylists because they don't even believe in baptism anymore. They should be called non-Babylists. And they are just a form of the Catholic Church. They are a daughter of the Catholic Church, the Baptist Churches, and so is the Pentecostal and the Lutheran, Presbyterian, and all these isms of mankind are all daughters of Babylon. They are all daughters of whoredom. They are all deceivers and false teachers and false pastors. But despite all of that, despite the world be, being full and overflowing with false teachers, despite that, there are still true teachers, true pastors. Here in Ephesians 4.11, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, which is one of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And he is saying to them, that there is church leadership and church administration. Let's read this. Ephesians 4, verse 11, and he, talking about Jesus, he gave some as apostles. Jesus did. He made apostles. He appointed certain people to be apostles. And some as prophets. And some as evangelists. And some as pastors and Teachers. Now, that word teachers could also be translated as deacons, deacons and deaconesses. And we do find that in other places in the Bible, including deaconess in the Bible. We cannot go by our opinion. We have no right to our opinion. The only choice we have is to believe it, what the Bible says when it's translated correctly, 
to believe it or not believe it. That's the only choice. But we have no right to our opinion nor our own private interpretation of the Bible. The Bible interprets itself. Amen. Here, Paul is given instruction and teaching to the church. Amen. He's writing to the church, to the congregation of Ephesus. And he is teaching them that not only are there pastors and deaconess and deacons, but there are also apostles and prophets and evangelists. So there are different administrations of the church, as he says also to the Corinthians. More than one congregation he preached this to. Amen? Not just to one gathering on one day, but through multiple times, to multiple locations, to multiple congregations, Paul continued to preach the same principle that there are administrations and gifts and offices of the church, that the church needs structure and leadership and organization. Amen. Verse 12, he tells us why that there are these offices, these administrations, these leaders. Why? It says for, in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service or ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. Amen. Until, for how long? For how long? Until we all obtain, all of us obtain, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of Theos, to a mature man, to the measure of the maturity which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children spiritually, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Amen. There is a war. We are in the middle of that war. Amen. He says that we need leaderships. We need apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, deacons. Not just pastors. We need all of these officers of the church so that we would come together eventually in unity. And not just in faith of just believing in God, but to a, to a full statue of maturity in Christ Jesus. That means that the end goal is perfection of you and me, everybody in the church, every member of the church. Perfection, completeness. To become completely mature in Christ Jesus. That's more than just believing in God. That's more than just saying a prayer every morning. That's more than just attending services every week. That's more than just reading the Bible. That's more than just listening to the pastor. But rather reaching a full maturity, a completeness, to where other scriptures say that that we must be perfect, meaning sinless, eventually. 
people say that's impossible. Some of the new people may say, it's impossible for us to reach a state of sinlessness, not sinning anymore. But that's a cop-out. Bible says, be ye holy. And the Bible says, be ye perfect, meaning without sin. The Bible says, if you are born again, it is impossible for you to sin. What it says. Now, of course, we know that when we are first born again, we do continue to sin because we are babes in Christ when we are born. When we are first born again, we are spiritual babes, not yet mature. We will make mistakes. We will slip up. We will make mistakes of different kinds and different types for our first year, for our first two years and three years. Amen. It takes time to reach full maturity. And a child needs parents to teach him or her. Amen. If a child was to be isolated without parents, no leadership, no rules, no commandments, no structure, no guidance, a child left alone, isolated, without parents, will not mature, ever. They will grow up immature, without knowledge, without wisdom, without understanding. But a child that is taught properly, right from the beginning until the end, will gain wisdom from their father, wisdom from their mother and their grandparents and their uncles and aunts. Amen. A child is taught by a family structure. And we know that the church is symbolized in the Bible over and over as a family structure, that the family structure of mom and dad and child is a symbolism for the church itself. Amen. Do we, being the children of God, we need not only our spiritual father, but we need our physical structure of the church, meaning even our parents teaching us right from childhood, ideally, amen, ideally. And once we are born again into a new family, our spiritual family, we need spiritual parents. We need spiritual leaders. We need spiritual father figures. We need elders of the church, the apostles and the prophets. Amen. We need teaching, guidance, leadership, until we reach full maturity. And when we look at the church today, when we look at the false church and the true church, both, both, we have not yet reached full maturity. That's just simply the truth. So how can anyone say that 2,000 years ago that all of a sudden, as soon as John died and Paul died, that there was no longer any leadership of the church beyond just a pastor? Even the pastors need help. Even the pastors 
need leadership. This is a structure of ranks in the church, being the apostles first, and then underneath the apostles are the prophets, then underneath the prophets is the evangelists, and then underneath the evangelists is the pastors, then underneath the pastors are the deacons. That is rank and structure of the church. In the Bible, not only is the church symbolized by a family, having the dad, the father in the family, being the head of the family, the head of the woman and the children, you've got ranks there. But also the church in the Bible is represented as a building with different components, needing a foundation, needing a chief cornerstone, different joints of the body all fitting together, and every joint of the body needful, even the minor joints and the major joints. So even in that, you have ranks and a need for different parts of the body, of different administrations, as the Bible says. Amen. So we know, if we have common sense, and if we read the Bible, we know that this is totally impossible for the church to have gone 2,000 years without any leadership. Amen. Now let's look at another place that talks about this to some degree. And over in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's turn there to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because we do need to compare Bible verses with Bible verses. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 28. One of the major problems that people have is they do not cross-reference. They do not compare Bible verses with Bible verses. And therefore, a lot of people use what I call one-verse theology. They would take one verse without preparing it, and they even take it out of context, and they make a theology, a doctrine out of it. So that we don't make that mistake, we need to always compare verses, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. We need to make sure that we allow the Bible to interpret itself and allow the Bible to explain itself. So because we read about apostles, we need to look at other places in the Bible where it talks about these different ranks and offices. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, Paul is talking to another congregation, like I said. This time he is writing to the congregation in the town of Corinth, a congregation of called out people, people called out of the world, called out of Judaism called out of heathen religion, called out of, of all the false religion that existed in that time. And there was tons of false religion, just like there is today. Different religions, different denominations, four lives. The people were called out and gathered together in one mind, in one accord, as we are today, to receive instruction. And he says to them in verse 28 that Theos has appointed in the congregation of called out ones, chiefly, meaning, first of all, foremost, the apostles, and then secondly, the prophets, and then thirdly, the teachers. Now here, Paul summarizes 
what he listed as five administrations in the book of Ephesians 4, he summarizes it in three groups now, the apostles and the prophets. So then the third group of teachers within this particular case include the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers because they are three forms of teachers. But you see how in this particular case, he uses the word chiefly, and then secondly, and then thirdly. So that tells us that these are ranks of administration, that the apostles are over the prophets, and that the prophets are over the teachers and so forth. Because when you have an organization, a structure, when you have like more than one congregation, each of your pastors and deacons, they're going to be different age range, different levels of experience, different levels of knowledge, different levels of wisdom. You might have one pastor that is only 18 years old. You might have another pastor that is 30 years old. You might have another pastor that is 80 years old. So you're going to have different levels of understanding among people of different age, and not only physical age, but spiritual age. How long have they been ministering? How long have they been saved and known the truth? How long have they been able to study the Bible and receive instruction from God and so forth? And because of that, when you have multiple congregations across the world and people of different age, spiritually and physically, you're going to need leadership even for the pastors. Amen. That 18-year-old pastor that just started today, he's going to need leadership from the elders. Amen. And he's going to make mistakes even with that leadership. Amen. And with it or without it, that young pastor who just got started is going to make a mistake. Amen. Many mistakes. And even if he is 90 years old or 50 and he just got started preaching, he's going to make a lot of mistakes. And not only the pastor, but guess what? Even the prophet, even the apostle, every one of these people in the different offices and ranks and administration, they're all going to make mistakes because they are all human. Do you need the administration and ranks and offices, structure and organization of the church so that they can help one another. Those pastors, those prophets and stuff can say to each other that, hey, uh, I'm sorry, but you didn't preach that quite right. That's not quite the truth. You need to rethink that. Pastors can say that to one another even more than what the congregation can say to those pastors. Amen? Because let's just face the reality of life. Might not like it, but let's face the reality of life that when a lay member who's not a leader, who is not a pastor or a prophet or apostle, when you go to the pastor and say that he's wrong, the reality of life is that most pastors are not going to take it to heart they're not going to re-examine themselves. They're not going to take time to examine themselves. But they're going to think that they're right and that you're wrong. 
That's just the reality of life. It shouldn't be that way because the pastor should examine himself if there's a possibility that he was wrong about something. Amen. But we're dealing with reality and not a perfect world. So the reality is that we need not only lay members, but we need other offices of the church and ranks of the church so that the apostle can say to the next rank and the rank, rank before that and the rank out before, underneath that, the apostle can say to all of those ranks that we need unity. We can't have different pastors teaching different things. We can't have one pastor in one congregation teaching a pre-trib rapture and another one teaching that the pre-trib rapture is not true. That would be chaos. That would be confusion. It would not be healthy for the church. Amen. So we need ranks and administrations to say to somebody that's preaching wrong, somebody with rank, with power, with authority, to say, you can't preach that. That's wrong. That is not true. You've got to stop saying that. We need somebody with a rank and authority to overrule the younger the less mature, newer ministers that are just coming into the church. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is reality. And God is wise how to build a house and how to have family and how to have church. God is the great architect. He knew that there would be this need for structure, administration, and right. God knew there would be this need. Amen. And look here also says that there's also miracles and spiritual empowerments of healings, helps, administrations, types of tongues, and so forth. Verse 29. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29. All or not apostles, are they? He's asking a question, so we answer it in our mind. No, not everybody is an apostle. Then he asks another question. All or not prophets are they? And again, we answer in our mind, no. All or not teachers are they? No. All or not workers of miracles are they? No, contrary to popular opinion. All do not have spiritual empowerments of healings, do they? No, contrary to popular opinion. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No, contrary to popular opinion. Amen? And all do not interpret, do they? No, but earnestly desire a greater spiritual empowerment. Amen. So it doesn't say that we should not desire spiritual empowerments, but rather that we should desire spiritual empowerments. Amen. So again, Paul is teaching more than one congregation, the same doctrine. So there would be unity in the church between different congregations. And he's teaching the different congregations that there must be structure, organization, and administration of offices and, and what the ranks would be. Amen. Now, in confirmation to this sermon, and as I was praying and seeking the Lord all week, especially the last two and three days, what should I preach? What, what is your message? 
And as I always do, I was asking God for your message, Father, not mine. Not what I want to preach, not what I want to, to talk about, but what do you want me to deliver? What is your sermon? What is your message, Father, to the church? What do you want to speak to the church? And it kept coming in my mind that it is Ephesians 4.11, the, the five-fold ministry, the ranks, the structure, the organization of the church, the need for leadership and apostles today. This wasn't my carnal desire. This is not me trying to lift myself up or make myself boss. But this was what God was saying in my heart, and this was the battle of the week. Amen. This was the battle that I've been in all week long. So this is what is forefront in the spiritual realm. This is what the devil's trying to do is to destroy the church, to come against the battle, to come against the leader, I mean. That's what happens in war, is that the, the army on the opposing side tries to knock out the leadership. One of the first targets in Russia and China will invade the United States. Is they're going to strike Washington, D.C., First and foremost, amen, that's common sense. Amen. Take out the leadership. The confirmation of this came yesterday about what God's will was for me to deliver today. And yesterday on Friday, as I drove past one of the local thrift stores, I saw an office chair for sale sitting outside the store. Well, I've been wanting an office chair for years and years and years and years and years and years, I've been wanting an office chair and really did need one, really did need one. As I sit behind my desk and something more comfortable, better for my health to sit there as I work. And I saw that chair sitting out there and I'm like, I need to turn around and go back and see how much that chair is. So I went back and inspect, inspected it, determined it was a good chair, that I wanted it, if it was affordable, and started praying, you know, let this be cheap enough. And went in and asked about it. I said, five bucks. Praise the Lord. Five bucks for office chair. Amen. That's how good God is. But then I looked down on the floor, and God knows I'm like the only person that picks up stuff off the floor. In every store, every place I go to, I'm picking up, as I walk down, up and ever, ever out, I am picking up the trash all over the floor. God knew that. Because I don't want somebody to step on something and slip and fall and break their neck. Come on now. That's why that all of us needs to pick up the trash off the floor if it's something that somebody can slip and fall on. Looking at looking out over people, protecting people, thinking of the next person. I might not slip and fall on it, but the next person behind me might not be as observant as I am, and they might step on it without seeing it and slip and fall. Think about other people, amen. God knowing that that is my habit of doing that, that I look down after saying, yes, I take the chair, I look down to see a card, laying on the floor. 
and the card says the word Ephesians. Ephesians. So, wow. I knew immediately this is my confirmation. This is my confirmation. Amen? And then not only that confirmation, but then also the same day yesterday, I received an email from somebody saying that they are ready to receive a pastor for the first time in their life. So that to me also spoke to me that this is what I need to minister to everyone, to the church, that there is a need for pastors and prophets and evangelists and all the different ranks and structures and offices of the church. There is a need for that. And that's why I've been uh, in the middle of a battle all week about. Now let's go to the book of Acts. Acts 15, and I'm going to give you another confirmation later, an amazing confirmation that I received this morning. But before I give you that, let's turn to Acts 15, verse 1 through 4. I give everybody time to get there. Acts 15, verses 1 through 4. Acts 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, saying this, quote, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 2. And when Paul, Paulos, and Barnabas had Great dissension, division, not unity, but division and debate with them, against them. They disagreed with them, of course, amen. And some determining that Paulos and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the congregation of called out ones, they were passing through both the town of Felicia and Samaria, or those regions, describing in detail the, con- the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they had arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the congregation of called, one, called out ones and by the apostles and elders, and they reported all that Theos had done with them. So what we see here is Paul, who was an apostle, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, is submitting himself to higher ranks, even Paul, amen, that he went to the council saying, you know, there are some people who are not in unity of doctrine, teaching that a man must have a, a surgical procedure, take a knife, a scissors, and cut off his foreskin in order to be saved. That's ridiculous. That's insane. But that's what people were teaching. And he had to set the record straight. And the church said, yeah, go to the elders. Get this record straight. Amen. So that we can all preach the same thing. We want to know what the administration of the church says. 
Amen. Did Paul say, I'm the only apostle? No. Did Paul say, I didn't have to submit myself? No. Now, there were times, especially when he first got started preaching, that he did not submit himself. That's in the Bible, too. But as he got older, he did submit himself. Amen. As he uh, saw the need to work with the elders and submit himself to the elders, he did eventually submit himself to the elders. Absolutely. Amen. And we saw that he did that, I believe, even more than once, at least on more than one doctrine for sure. He did that also, also with uh, other things, I believe. But anyway, we see here that there's a council of elders in Jerusalem there was. Okay? And what was the purpose? The purpose was unity of doctrine, decision-making. Reigns, administration, structure of the church. Do you really believe that after Paul died and John that there was no longer a council, that there was no longer leaders and elders of the church? That's really ridiculous to think that. Amen? And I will also then say this now. Those people that claim that when the first 12 apostles died, and after John included, and Paul when they died, that there's no other apostles for 2,000 years and never will be again. I say to those people, not only do all these verses prove the need, even to this day, a need for structure and administration and leadership, but also, even if we had gone, 2,000 years without any apostles. Think about this. There was a time when there was a first human king of Israel. Is that not true? There was a time when there was the first human king of Israel, King Saul. Up until that point, there was no human king of Israel, so that was a new time era and a new position of human leadership. Amen. But it was ordained by God. Well, God didn't want it, but God allowed it and did ordain it. Amen. And brought it to pass. So that was a new era and a new position of leadership in, in human structure. Amen. And not only that, but at some point of time in history, they had to have been the first prophet and the first apostle, and the first disciple, and the first judge in the book of Judges. There was even the administration of judges before the kings. Before the kings came, there was the judges, and there had to have been the first judge as well. So we do have different time eras in the church, do we not? And there was always a first, a first judge, a first apostle, a first prophet, a first king. So to say that there would never again be another time era or another first would be illogical. Amen. That would not be logical to say that it would be impossible for God to bring another era in the church. Those letters of Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, I'm not going to read all of that today because I've 
Ray, we've read that recently over and over, but I think we will touch on it a little bit because we need to. Here in a few minutes, we will touch on that. But anyway, in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, there are letters to seven churches. And those seven churches were not just seven congregations that existed 2,000 years ago, but rather, in addition to that, those seven churches are symbolic of seven church time eras, including the last time era that we live in today. So that's important to understand, too. There are seven church eras in the New Testament, New Covenant time era. There are seven eras within the New Covenant era. Amen. Even as there are seven seals that have seven uh, trumpets within those seven seals. The seventh seal is comprised of seven trumpets. So you have seven within seven. And that's the way God works. Amen. Now, let's see. We, we're in Acts. So let's go to another chapter of Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to get back to Revelation later. But while we're in Acts, let's look at another perfect example. Acts 1, starting in verse 16. Now, almost everybody that's listening today, you probably already agree with this even before this sermon. But you need to know that this is part of the war being fought against the church, against you and against me. And therefore, you need to know how to respond when you are approached with this particular false doctrine, that there are no longer any apostles and prophets today. Sooner or later, you're going to have to confront that issue with a family member or somebody on social media or a friend or somebody that you share the truth with. And when they see, somewhere on the website where I use the word apostle, when I use that title, we're in my signature, and I use that title occasionally. Somebody will say, well, this proves him wrong. Everything he teaches, everything, all of the articles, the, the entire Alpha and Omega Bible, everything is wrong just because and only because he calls himself apostle. That's the insanity that we're dealing with. They will use that one thing because they ain't got nothing else. Amen? They can't prove me wrong about what I teach. And therefore, they have to grab on to such ridiculous and childish things to try to say everything I say is wrong and you better not listen to me anymore. It's just simply because I call myself apostle. And that's exactly what this guy was saying on the MeWe social group. That's exactly what he was saying. That he won't allow any of my articles on his group, even when even when it's something he does agree with, he won't allow any of my articles on his group only because that I claim to be an apostle. And sooner or later, you're going to have to deal with that insanity. So you need to know the Bible verses the sword of the word of God, 
the ammunition of God that God gives you, the ammunition that God gives you, the word of God, the scripture, to defute that insanity. Amen? Now in Acts 1, verse 16, brother, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the holy breath foretold by the mouth of David. Amen. The breath of God speaking to the mouth of David concerning Judas, the one that betrayed Jesus, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was accounted among them and received his share in this ministry. Judas was one of the 12 original apostles or disciples. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his intestines gushed out. That's what happened to Judas. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, that field was called, however you pronounce that, Halakaka. <laughs> that is my best <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce that. That is called the field of blood. For it is written, in the book of Psalms, quote, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it. And let another man take his office, office, his administration. Oh, and I wanted to also point out that when I got the office chair, the word chair is a synonym for administration. Amen. So we could say here, let another man take his office could also be translated with the synonym, word of the same meaning, let another man take his chair, his administration, his place, his office in the administration of the church. Amen. But God gives us our chairs. He gives us our offices, our placements in the church. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken, that Jesus was taken up from us, one of these eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forth two men, Joseph called Barnabas who was also called Justice, and Matthias. Not the same Matthew, but another Matthew. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these, these two that you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to his own place, meaning he turned aside to do his own will and then death being also his own place. And they drew lots. They drew a lot out of a head. They drew lots for them, and the lot fell to the Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles, meaning he was the, actually the 13th apostle taking the position of Judas. So what we see here and what we learn from this is that when one of the apostles died, he was replaced. They prayed to God, we have two men under consideration. Which one do you want to take his place? We must maintain 
that we maintain leadership and offices of administration. The church still needs this. They did not allow it to dwindle down to nobody in leadership. When one died, they replaced it. And common sense tells us that when the next apostle would have died or fell away from God, he also would have been replaced. And then the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. Amen? That's common sense. They did it here. They would have continued to do that, to maintain a council of elders. And even if it had gotten down to only three or two, they would have continued for as forever, they would have continued to try to keep 12 apostles for as long as possible. And if it never could maintain 12, they would have still maintained whatever number of leadership that they could maintain. Amen? Because these were men who were wise in the Lord who saw the need for the church. Amen? Now, some people would say that actually these verses prove that there are no apostles today because the apostle that, they, that God chose was one that saw Jesus on the earth. It said that they chose somebody that was a witness of his resurrection. And therefore, because nobody alive today actually saw Jesus rise from the ground, that nobody today can be an apostle. That is a claim that they use. They try to use this to say there are no apostles today because nobody alive today saw Jesus. Well, that's not correct reasoning, and I'll tell you why. Paul never saw Jesus. Paul didn't. Neither did Luke. Luke, did you know that? Luke was a doctor from Syria. Dr. Luke, called Dr. Lucas. That's what his name really was, was Dr. Lucas from Syria. He was a Gentile, not even a Jew. And he came after all the other disciples, and he wrote later, and he didn't even walk with Jesus. He was not even one of the original 12, and neither was Paul. So not only Luke, but Paul, two different apostles, were not among the original 12. And neither one of them saw Jesus alive when Jesus walked on the earth. They did not witness his resurrection either. So to try to say that they have to be, that an apostle has a requirement of actually seeing Jesus doesn't match Scripture because we have two apostles that never saw Jesus walk in the earth. They came later. So that claim is absolutely nonsense. Amen. They would have continued even after these men all died. They would have still been leaders because they would have kept replacing them, kept replacing them. And eventually all the ones that did witness Jesus walking on the earth and his resurrection, all those would have eventually died. But they would have kept replacing one by one. Amen? Now let's go to chapter 20 here. Revelation 20. I mean, uh, Acts 20. Sorry about that. Acts chapter 20.
here's the other excuse that they use. Acts 20, verse 27. Paul says to them, Acts 20, verse 27, Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the entire or the whole purpose of Theos. I did not shrink back from declaring to you the entire purpose of Theos. So the claim is that this supposedly means that Paul knew everything. <laughs> that Paul knew everything that there could possibly be, and he declared it, he wrote it, he preached it, and therefore there's nothing else to learn because he declared the entire purpose of Theos. That's the claim by many of these people who claim that there, that is impossible to have an apostle today because Paul already declared everything there is to know. We have nothing new to learn. Well, the Bible proves that wrong, and I'll tell you how. Let's go over to Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. Daniel 12, verses 8 and 9, page 162, if you have the paperback, Book of Prophets, volume 4, page 162. So when people bring up these verses like that, you need to know how to respond. So with that particular verse, you could go to Daniel 12, verse 8 and 9. Daniel 12, verse 8 says, this is Daniel writing. He said, I heard, but I understood not. And I said, oh, Lord, what will be the end of these things? And he said, go, Daniel, for the words are closed and sealed sealed up until the time of the end. Amen. And when you look at the whole context of this entire chapter, chapter Daniel, Daniel 12, the context is definitely the end time generation, the time of the great tribulation. And so Daniel, who was a true prophet of God, amen, he was in the office of prophet. He didn't even understand everything. And he wrote, of course, the book of Daniel, which is a book of prophecy, even as John, supposedly one of the last apostles, wrote a book of prophecy. And even John did not understand what he saw. Amen. Even John did not understand the meaning of a giant dinosaur with seven heads and ten horns, right? Even John did not understand, and neither did Daniel understand what he was hearing. Amen. And Daniel was told, this is sealed until the time of the end. So what we get from this very clearly is at the time of the end, in our day, in our lifetime, there would be understanding revealed. That there are certain things that are sealed that would not be revealed 
unto our time that even Paul did not understand. Amen? It wasn't meant for Daniel, Paul, or John, or any of the apostles and prophets two and three and four thousand years ago. It was not meant for them to understand everything because it was really useless for them to understand everything because the majority of prophecy is not even for their time but our time. Not only must we go with Scripture, but we must be people of wisdom. There are entire books of the Bible about wisdom. Amen. The Bible teaches that we must use wisdom and increase in wisdom and increase in knowledge. And how can we increase in any such thing if there's nothing yet left to learn and grow in? And especially since the majority of prophecy is reserved unto our time. So common sense and wisdom declares, common sense and wisdom speaks forth that new revelation would be revealed unto us, the people of the end time. Amen? Amen. The word apostle just simply means someone who is called and sent. But the context of, of the word apostle in the Bible declares even more meaning than just someone called and sent. The context in which the word apostle is used in the Bible means someone who is called and sent by God as a leader over the pastors, leader over other administrations of the church, so that there would be unity and administration in the church. To say that God cannot and will never again call a leader for organization and unity of the church would be a very ridiculous ideal that God would never do such thing again. History repeats itself. Does not history repeat itself? Does not God use a pattern? God repeatedly over and over and over and over and over and over and over in the Bible used patterns. If he did it once, he did it again. He called Moses. After that, he called Joshua. Did he not? After that, he called another one, another one, and another one. God changes not. If that is how he has always, even in the Old and New Testaments both, God worked through mankind. God could have split the Red Sea without Moses holding up his hands. But yet, Moses had to hold up his hands and his staff in order for the water at the Red Sea to stay open and available for the people to cross all night long. It did not take just a few minutes. There was probably around a million or more than a million people that crossed the Red Sea that night. And yet Moses, all night long, while it took a million people to cross the Red Sea, Moses had to hold up his hands. And every time his hands weakened and fell down, the water would start to come back on the people a little bit. And so Aaron had to hold his hands up so that the water would spew back up all the way fully back up in the sky and protect the people and the people would not die. 
It was the power of God that held the water back. But God was using the hands of Moses, even with all the ten plagues. Well, some of the ten plagues. God had Moses or Aaron to strike the water, to do certain things. And using the hand and staff of humans, and that is the way he did Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, over and over and over, how he used men of God to do his work. God changes not. The Bible says that he is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. He changes not. If that is the way he has always dealt with man, then that is the way he will always deal with mankind. He works through the body of Christ, his body. We are his hands and feet on this earth. We are his body, the body. The, uh, the Lord said that he go back to the right hand of the Father. He sit down. It is now our time to work. And even greater things than, than he did, we shall do. And nothing shall be impossible to us, to those that believe. It is our time to lay hands on the sick that they may recover. Amen. We are the body of Christ on this earth now. Amen. And just because the world is full and overflowing with false apostles, false prophets, and false teachers, false pastors, that does not mean that there's no true ones left. There are leaders and followers in all groups, all species, all, both the animal kingdom and the mankind, as well as even in the spiritual realm, there are followers and leaders. To say that God would lead us without, without using any human leader would be unrealistic and unbiblical because he always used human leaders. He always used human leaders, and God changes not. The church needs structure and organization. Otherwise, there would be chaos. Who would lead a sermon? Who would host services? Who would kick out troublemakers? Who would kick out those that would come in here to try to teach us false doctrine if we don't have a leader? Who would settle disputes within the church? Who would oversee and watch out for the safety of the flock if there are not apostles? prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Amen. Even in the spiritual realm, God has many angel assistants with whom he works through. At any time, God could just snap his finger or speak a word and it would happen. But even, even in the spiritual realm, he doesn't do that. He doesn't work that way most of the time. Instead, he speaks to an angel. You go do this. You go do that. He says that to angels. He says that to humans. You go and you do it. Amen. God doesn't want the angels and humans to be couch potato people. He wants us to be active. The Bible says that we are called to do good works. Amen. Even in the book of Revelation, he sends angels to speak on his behalf and to do things for him on his behalf. 
And that is talking about in the end times, in the book of Revelation. He sends angels and people to go and do his bidding. If he still works that way with angels in the end time, wouldn't it also make sense for him to do that with humans? And he does, in the book of Revelation, work through humans. Amen. Let's go to the book of Revelation now. Let's go to Revelation 3. Revelation chapter 3. As I was saying earlier, thank you for your patience. As I was saying earlier, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, there are letters to seven churches. And these were seven congregations, Christians, true Christians, the true body of Christ in seven different towns in the area of what now would be known as Turkey in that general area which is a huge expanse of land. But this is not just seven congregations that existed 2,000 years ago. If you follow church history, each congregation here represents a time era for the church. From the first era of the New Testament or New Covenant church until our time. So once you get down to Revelation 3, verse 14, from there, it is talking about the last era of the New Covenant Church, our day, our time. So when it says in chapter 3, verse 14, to the messenger or to the pastor of the congregation of called out ones in Laodicea, write this. What that is saying is not just to the pastor that lived 2,000 years ago, but actually it is to me. To you and to all the pastors and leadership of the end time church, this is written to you and me specifically. Because think about this again now. The book of Revelation has never been fulfilled. But I guarantee you that, and I've seen it over and over and over, there are many, many people out there who say, who claim, that the book of Revelation has entirely already been fulfilled. That we don't have to study it, we don't have to understand it, we don't have to teach it. It's in vain, it's useless because it was already fulfilled. There's a lot of people that say that. I've seen it over and over and over. And that's ridiculous. And that is demonic, very demonic. The devil does not want you to understand the book of Revelation. Actually, the book of Revelation is actually very easy to understand. It actually is very easy to understand. But you have to read it slow, thinking about what it's saying, and taking notes to help you keep track of what it's saying. That's how to understand it. And you have to compare it with Ezekiel and Daniel and Matthew 24. You have to compare it so that other scripture can help interpret it so that you are not interpreting it yourself. Amen. And when you do it that way, 
And let the Bible interpret itself and take notes. You read it slow and read it in prayer. Praying as you read, asking for understanding. Then God will open it up to you. The Bible says, seek and you shall find. If you seek in sincere earnesty, you will find. Amen. Now, so to us, to the end time church, it says that the amen, Jesus, the faithful and the true witness, the chief ruler of the creation of Theos, says this. I know your works, church. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I desire, I would, that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, and you're neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, because you say, I am rich, and I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wealthy and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, this is spiritually speaking. Do not take that literal, because it's not literally saying that you claim to be physically rich when the, when the reality is you're physically poor and naked. That's not what it's saying. Think spiritual. It is speaking spiritual. He's saying that there are people who are claiming that we don't, we don't need to learn anything, that Paul had already declared the whole counsel of God, that Paul knew Everything that was ever needed to be known, and we don't need any new apostles or any new teachers because there's nothing else to learn. And so those people, they think that they are spiritually rich when the truth is they are spiritually poor and they are spiritually naked. Amen. They don't have on the clothes of righteous works. Amen. Revelation 19 says that the clothing that we need is righteous works. Not physically speaking, but spiritually speaking, the clothing we need is righteous works. These people don't have the righteous works because not only do they believe that we don't need to learn anything, but they also believe we don't have to do anything. That's what they believe. We don't have to learn anything nor do anything. All we have to do is say one prayer. We're saved forever. I heard a Baptist preacher one time say that he could actually go and kill people and he'll still go to heaven. There's nothing he can do to lose his salvation. He'll go to heaven if he, even if he kills people. That is the doctrine of the Baptist church. That is the doctrine of the Baptist church. So stay away from those hypocrites. Stay away from the Baptist church, the church of Satan. Amen? That's the synagogue of Satan. You want to know who the synagogue of Satan is in Revelation 2? It is the Baptist church. It is the Pentecostal church. It is the Methodist, the Presbyterian, the Catholic, the Lutheran. And all of those isms, those false religions of men, Jehovah Witnesses, the Seventh-day Adventists too, absolutely, the Mormons, the Church of Scientology, all of them are the Church of Satan, the synagogue of Satan. It is not talking about 
the nation of Israel. Don't fall for that trap of the devil. Many, many, many people across the Internet say, they claim, that the synagogue of Satan in the book of Revelation is the Jews. And by claiming such ridiculous things, they fight the entire race of the Jews. And that is racism, and that is the spirit of hate. That is not the spirit of God. That is not true biblical understanding. But rather, it is the spirit of Nazism. It is the spirit of hate when they say the sin of God is Satan is the Jews. It's ridiculous. And yet, many, many people believe that foolishness. You see the war that we're in? We are in a war. Brother, sister, we are in a war. Truth versus the lies. And it is time for the church to come together in unity of faith, of doctrine, as a mature person, growing in the knowledge of the Lord, his word, his truth, true doctrine. And we're going to have to fight for it. We're going to have to fight for it because when you're in a war and you don't fight back, you'll lose. Amen? We're going to have to stand up for the truth. And when somebody poses a lie on the Internet, we better speak up and fight back for the truth. The truth is worth fighting for. Amen? This is a warning here in the book of Revelation to the end-time church. People think that they are spiritually rich when they are spiritually poor. They think they don't need any more truth. But what does it say if we go over here? To verse 19, what does God say to them? Verse 19, those whom I love, I convict. I would discipline and therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And he who overcomes, you got to overcome. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, meaning give you authority. What? Give you authority? Yeah. In the end time? Yeah. Woo. Praise the Lord. Woo. You can tell I'm a redneck. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. That's not, not physically, but spiritually. That means he will grant us authority. Without authority, we can't do nothing. We need authority in this war. We need authority to subdue the earth. God gave it to us. We're about to take it. We're about to take the authority that God gives us to subdue this earth and to usher in his kingdom. Amen. Praise the Lord. What good is authority if you don't use it? Amen. And look at chapter 11 now, Revelation 11. Praise the Lord. This ain't boring, is it? Hey, dude. This ain't boring, is it, dude? It don't have to be boring to serve the Lord. Amen. Baptist church... And the Pentecostal, well, not Pentecostal, but the Baptist church and the Lutheran church and many of those churches, they want you to go in there and just sit and be quiet 
not move a muscle, not say nothing. Now that's boring. But living for Christ don't have to be boring. It's exciting living for Christ in the truth. Amen? Amen. And the truth gives you liberty to praise the Lord, to lift your hands, to raise your voice and to shout and to praise the Lord Jesus Christ for he is worthy of all of our praise. Amen. Stay away from those Baptist churches, such are liars and thieves. Amen. Revelation 11. Go down here to verse 3. Revelation 11, verse 3. In gifting my two witnesses, that they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. I believe that clothed in sackcloth is only spiritually speaking, meaning that they are humble. It don't matter whether it's literal or it don't matter if you want to argue. That would be a useless argument. It don't matter if they're dressed in purple or red or yellow or sackcloth or, or blue jeans. I don't care. But I believe it's spiritually speaking for meaning that they are humble. Okay? The main point in this is not what someone wears. The main point in this is that even in the great tribulation, he's going to have prophets. Amen. These are two witnesses, two men, that were prophesied for three and a half years. And if you look down to verse 5, if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth, which is spiritually speaking, fire of the Holy Ghost flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So that if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. Now think about that now. Most Christians want the pastor never raise his voice, never get angry, never rebuke anyone. They want me and you to not lift a finger in this war. They want us to just die. They want us to just to sit here and just take it. The devil wants us to be wimps. The devil wants us to be couch potato Christians that will not stand up for the truth. The truth is those two prophets that's going to be standing in Jerusalem during the Great Tribulation, you better not speak a word against them. Touch not my anointed. Amen. You better not speak against them because they're going to be speaking God's words through their mouth. The Holy Ghost would be coming through their mouth, and anybody that would try to hurt them, these two witnesses ain't going to say, God bless you. These two witnesses ain't going to be hugging and kissing and sucking on your toes. What they're going to be doing is, die! They will kill you for coming against his word. Amen? And that was even the teaching of Jesus as well. Teaching of Jesus was, you come across a fruitless tree, rebuke it, curse it. That's what Jesus did as an example to us. He also said, if they do not receive your word, remove your blessing of peace away from them and shake the dust off your feet, for it is not worthy of them. Shake the dust off your feet, that's a curse. Jesus, when he walked on this earth, 
He said, think not that I've come to bring peace, but a sword. He came to bring a sword. To even bring division, even in your own family. To set dad and son against each other. Mother and daughter against each other. Jesus said he came to do that. I know you never heard that before. Find it in the Bible. It's there. I promise you it's there. He didn't come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword. And when he comes back, Revelation 19, he's coming back in wrath. He ain't coming back kissy, 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 kissy. He's coming back in wrath. He's coming back to judge and to wage war. He's coming back slaughtering people by the millions on the day of his return. He ain't coming back smiling. He's coming back in wrath. Read it for yourself. Don't trust me. Don't believe me. Read it for yourself in Revelation 19. He's coming back. He's going to come back and kill everybody. Bunch of people. Not everybody. You know what I mean. And he's going to subdue the earth. And guess who's going to be helping him do that? Me and you. We're the army of the Lord. The Bible calls us the army of the Lord. And if you ain't willing to fight, then you ain't worthy of his kingdom. Amen? And if we are the army of the Lord, doesn't it make sense that he would set forth officials, officers, officers of the military? Does not the military, even in the spiritual realm, have officers? Are there not archangels and then lower angels? Amen? Would it be any different in the spiritual kingdom of God? No. That is the kingdom of God, the angels. Amen? And we're part of that kingdom. And if there are higher angels and lower angels, then there are also the same with the humans because we're in the same kingdom as the angels. Amen? Not the same species, but the same kingdom, same government. Amen? But here in Revelation 11, we see proof that in the Great Tribulation, there will still be prophets. 2,000 years after Paul and John died, still prophets upon the earth. It wouldn't be no different in the months just before. Amen. We may not have the two witnesses in the public eye yet, but it wouldn't be no different in just a few months before that. God would still have prophets upon the Lord uh, earth. Let's go to one more place. Let's go to the book of Peter, 1 Peter 5. There's a few more things I need to say, but this may be the last verse, though. 1 Peter 5. Praise Jesus. 1 Peter 5. This is page... 249, if you have paperback, 249, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2, 1 Peter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed or manifested. Shepherd the flock 
of theos among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, compulsion, not because you have to, but voluntarily, willingly, willingly watch over the flock according to the will of theos and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Amen. So here, Peter is speaking to the other leaders, the other pastors, the other bishops in the, in the church. He's saying, watch over the sheep. Take care of the sheep. Feed my sheep. Amen. And the interesting thing about Peter is it's one of the last books of the Bible written one of the last ones, and it was written after almost every letter that Paul wrote. There was only one letter of Paul still to be written. That was only the book of Timothy. But other than that, all of Paul's letters, which is most of the New Testament, was already written by the time Peter wrote this. So this was getting toward the end of that time era. And yet, Paul, I mean Peter here, Peter did not say, we are approaching the end of this time era, therefore, you don't have to watch the flock anymore. God will do it. And he ain't going to use any humans anymore, and he's not going to use pastors anymore. Peter, being called of God, even though Peter had a lot of sin, he did have a lot of sin. And even though he had a lot of flaw to himself. He was probably the most uh, troublesome of the, all the apostles, I believe. But nevertheless, he was still a man of God. He was still hearing from the Lord and writing scripture. He was still on the right track despite all of his flaws. A pastor ain't perfect, come on. A pastor ain't perfect. But he was still a man of God. And if, and if it was really, really, really true that God was not going to use pastors and prophets and apostles anymore, here at the close, getting close to the end of that era, Peter would have said something. And John would have said something when he was writing Revelation. John, and then in, in Paul's last letter that he wrote, Timothy, he would have said something too. Either John or Paul or Peter, getting close to the end of that era, would have said something about don't listen to the pastors no more. Don't listen to the apostles no more. We don't need them no more. This is coming to a close. Close up the shop, lock the door. But neither one of those men said any such thing nor even hinted in that direction. Amen. They knew that they would just keep appointing more and more apostles to take the place of each one as they died. Amen. The false preachers have set up many snares try to stop the people from embracing the truth. And that's what this is really about. And that's why this is so important. This is more than just me trying 
not just me trying to exalt myself. It's not me just fighting for my title. There's a greater purpose behind this. The reason for this battle is that the devil is going through the false preachers to try to discredit the truth. If they, if they can discredit me, then through that, they are discrediting the truth. They're trying to pull you away from God's word. That is the purpose of this, and this is why this is important. It's not about titles. It's about the truth. It is the devil's way of trying to pull you away from the truth, the true prophecies and the true doctrines. That's what this is about. Amen. And the false preachers have set up websites speaking against me. And they are, they, are, they are successfully preventing people from following this ministry. They are successfully pulling people away even after joining this ministry. They are pulling people away. False preachers, devil snare websites convincing people you don't have to obey God, you don't have to keep his commandments, you don't have to keep the seventh day, the prophecies are not true, Pastor Tim, he's just crazy, he's just insane, America is not going to be invaded, Assad's not the Antichrist, Assad is not going to appear in the sky, even though the Bible does say he's going to be in the temple of God in heaven. But, it's not true. Don't listen to Pastor Tim because, because he calls himself an apostle. Therefore, don't listen to anything he has to say, anything, even though he'll give you the Bible verse for everything. Don't listen to him because we'll just delete the Bible verses when he posts it. Amen. That's what this is about, trying to keep you away from God's truth. but I'm fighting back, and I will keep fighting back, and I will keep fighting back, and it is part of my duty and my responsibility to rebuke those people, both privately and publicly. I will continue to rebuke those people, even as the Bible, even as Paul said in Timothy, to rebuke lies and deceptions, to rebuke people. I have to protect the flock of God. This week, I was in a fight on MeWe, but I also emailed and rebuked other woods across the internet. Leaders in the church are also leaders in God's army, and I have to fight. I have to wage this war. Now, another confirmation today, a major confirmation that I said I was going to share with you. Today, I saw that the Russian military had bombed sheep. Sheep. I'm not talking about houses. I'm not talking about military targets. But the Russian military was bombing flocks of sheep in the countryside in Syria. Why were they doing that? Because they're trying to starve the people, 
take their food away, take their money away, their, their jobs, their resources, stuff that could be used for both food and clothing and other supplies, things that could be sold, whatever. See, the enemy is smart. Don't discount the enemy. The enemy is smart. But there was more to it than just that. More than the physical reasons that I just mentioned. There is a spiritual reasoning here. That spiritual symbolism, that spiritual reason of why I saw that today was confirmation that the enemy is waging war against the sheep. Amen. Against the church. There's a symbolism for that. There's a reason I saw that today. And it is another confirmation that this ain't just me. This is God. This is what God wanted me to talk about today. Amen. Now, how, how does God use me as an apostle? Why do I claim to be an apostle? Well, Jesus gave me the calling to translate and restore his scripture. Amen. His Bible. Isn't that the work of an apostle? And God called me to write, I believe, over 200 articles, flyers and books. Isn't that the work of an apostle? to write scripture. Jesus gave me the revelations of the identity of the Antichrist and the false prophet and the revelation of the five holy days in the end time prophetic timeline. Five holy days that match exactly how many days between each end time event. Not just one holy day. Not just two or three or four, but five holy days at least that fit perfectly of how many days are between each and every one of those holy days according to what the Bible says would be the number of days between each end time event. That is a huge revelation. He didn't give that to Joel Osteen. He didn't give that to Billy Graham. So doesn't that show that God is using me as an apostle? He also gave me the dream about Hoover Dam, that it will be attacked. And when that prophecy is fulfilled, you'll remember. And the understanding about what 666 really is, that John didn't even see three numbers. He saw three symbols, the symbols of Nazism and Islam and communism, the crowds that follow the beast. Amen. Read it on the website. It'll point you to the scripture. It will prove it to you. The coming invasion of America, the invasion of Israel, the invasion of Europe and Asia. Exactly who will invade who and when. All of this. Isn't that the work of a prophet and apostle? Jesus also used me to teach and warn people against the demonic Assyrian wide names, Yahweh, Yahshua, and those names like that. How that those are not Hebrew names at all, but rather they are Babylonian witchcraft names from the Assyrian language, which came from moon worship. Those are not Hebrew names at all. 
Isn't that the work of apostle to set forth doctrine, to correct lies and deceptions within the church? Are not these the ways that Jesus would use an apostle and prophet today? Amen. None of this is to exalt myself, but it's about doctrine. It's about truth and lies and the war, the spiritual war that we are in. So if we're in such dramatic, dramatic, extreme war, then we have to have leadership, we have to have authority, we have to exercise authority, we have to exercise boldness. I can't be shrinking back. Paul said he didn't shrink back. I cannot be shrinking back just because people are going to accuse me of pride. I cannot shrink back just because of people's accusations. I have to march forward, and I'm asking you to march forward with me. I cannot do this alone. I am but only one man, and I need you more than you need me. I need every member of the called out ones all across this world speak up for the truth and to share the word of God in your local communities. I need you and God needs you to do your part in this church. On the website at isawthelightministries.com we have available for you flyers that you can print out and distribute in your local communities. I can't go to Chicago. I can't go to Africa. I can't go to Korea. I can't go to your towns and your communities because I'm just a poor dude. I ain't got that much money. I have to watch my finances. I can't go everywhere. But you can go for me. And you can go for Jesus. Not everybody can go down the well, but you can hold my feet as I go down for you. And I can hold your feet as you go. That is a slogan that they use in the missionary field. Not everybody can go to Africa. Not everybody can go down the well. But you can hold my feet as I go, or I can hold yours. We can help one another out. And you can do your part with your own family, your own friends, and your local communities. And if you don't have a printer, you can go to the local library and print it out at the local library. They have printers there or over at a friend's house or relative's house. There's no excuses. Everybody needs to do their part because every one of us is part of the same body. We're all part of this war. We're all in this together, and we need to help one another and support one another and hold each other's hands. And I do ask you and encourage you, pray for direction. Because time is short, and we need to get our priorities straight. I really do believe that it is extremely possible that this particular parent coming up in March, only a couple of months away, would be, I believe it will be, I believe it will be, the fifth trumpet, I mean the fifth seal, the fifth seal. And that starts the great tribulation. That's when the son of perdition that they call the Antichrist, the president of Syria, will manifest himself in a very powerful delusion. 
a strong delusion in the sky, manifesting himself to appear like God in the sky. As it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, that he will exalt himself above everything called God, that he will display himself as being God, that he will sit in the seat of God, that he will sit in the temple of God. The Bible says the temple of God is in heaven. The temple of God will not be on the temple mount. It will not be. But the seat of God and the temple of God is in heaven, the Bible says. Let it interpret itself. And you can call me insane. You can call me deceived because they said the same thing about Jeremiah. They said the same thing about Jesus. They said the same thing about Noah. So I want people to say the same thing about me. Praise the Lord when they persecute me. Praise the Lord when they delete my post. Praise the Lord when they persecute me and stone me. Praise the Lord if they stab me. Praise the Lord again. Church don't need me. Church needs the word of God. And my goal is to make you so self-sufficient with Jesus Christ that you won't need me a year from now. One of these days I will not be here. One of these days, you will not be able to reach me through the email or telephone. One of these days, you'll go to isolightministries.com. It won't be there. I promise you, it won't be there forever. They will take it down. But my goal is to make you strong enough in the word of God that you won't need me anymore. When you're no longer able to contact me, you'll be able to read the Bible and understand it for yourself. That the Spirit of God will be so powerful in you that you'll be so mature in Jesus Christ that you won't have to call up Pastor Tim and say, what does this mean? Amen? This ain't about me. And you need to start doing your part right here, right now, reading the Bible every day, studying it and prove everything. Don't take my word. Study it for yourself in prayer and in fasting and share what you learn. Amen? Let me think. Let me hear from the Lord if there's anything else I need to say before we close. I do want to give a testimony of one of the new women in the church. On me, we she testified that when she reads the Alpha and Omega Bible, she sees in her mind the appearance of a water spring, which then leads to a waterfall. She says that she feels peaceful when she reads the Alpha and Omega Bible. This is an amazing testimony because water springs and waterfalls, these are prophetic confirmations of truth. Jesus said that he is the living water. That means moving water. The water of life, the foundation, the well of life. All these related terms are Bible synonyms for truth and salvation. Amen. There's more reason, too, that I can't speak of because they're sealed. But there's more revelation. There's more to be seen and touched and drink. This ain't over with. This is just getting started. 
plus another new woman in Christ Jesus of the truth, a new woman in the truth, Mary in Florida, another new woman listening for the first time today. More and more people joining God's church, more and more people reading the Alpha and Omega Bible, growing in the truth, growing in the Spirit of God. Jesus is moving and leading his people to his truth. This is just getting started. This ain't over with. This is just beginning. Amen. Praise Jesus. Robert, Brother Robert, you got anything to say or to share? Brittany, you got anything to say or to share? Huh? I do welcome people to come and visit us. Passover is coming up in April, in the Days of Unleavened Bread, and that is a pilgrimage. I know you never heard of that before, but it is a pilgrimage that the Bible does talk about traveling to where he has set his name for Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread so that you can take communion with his body, his church, with your brothers and sisters, where we can hug each other. Because we are not computer profiles. We are not computer chips. We need one another. And we're going to have to pull together for the great tribulation. Ain't none of us, not me, not you, not any of us can survive on our own. We're going to have to pull together for the great tribulation. And it will be at that pilgrimage that God's people will be on the move. If not this year, next year, surely, sometime soon, cannot you see Cannot you see that Iran recently shot huge, powerful missiles at the United States military for the first time in all human history? That's huge. That is ground-shaking. That is historic. And it's not over. It's just getting started. Amen. World War III is at the door. The great tribulation is at the door. And we need to get our priorities straight. We need to push forward, press forward. Press past all the physical pain, all the spiritual warfare, all the attacks, all the persecutions, all the snares, everything that hinders you. Push past it and be part of this work. Don't be double-minded. Take a side. Choose on which side you're going to fight and then fight. Amen? Don't be sitting on the fence. I invite everybody to listen again next week, every Saturday, the seventh day, at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Now, we also have 
new moon services. But this next new moon will be on a Saturday uh, coming up. Uh, next seventh day will be a new moon. So we won't have to have services during the week, that particular week, because the new moon will fall on the first day of the month, will fall on the seventh day. So the next service next week will fulfill two purposes, being the seventh day of the week as well as the first day of the month. The Bible does command us to meet together to attend services on the first day of the month. That's God's month, not the Roman Catholic month. So, but that falls on next Saturday anyway. So it will be a double holy day next Saturday. Amen. We might need to fix a turkey or something. I don't know. It'll be a double holy day. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you, brothers and sisters, for listening. Thank you for your patience. I'll let you go eat. Let you go rest. Enough of my big mouth. Amen. God bless you. In Jesus' name. And the congregation said, Amen. Amen. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.